Abby. And I'm Allie. And it's about time for true crime. Hey. Hi. How are you? Oh, just fabulous. How are you? I'm great. I mean, I'm sitting in your kitchen, so I really can't be better. Oh, thank you. How are you guys? Are you good? How's your end of summer slash beginning of fall going? Is it hot where you are? Is it cold? What's going on? This is always the time of year that I want it to be a lot cooler than it is. And then I just have to remind myself, like, you are going to wish it was 80 degrees again in, like, three weeks. Just But come April, we're going to be like, oh, my God, it's so cold. I know. <laughs> Oh, I can't wait. You will hear us gush about the weather and the foliage and everything here in New England. This is, I I will fight anyone on it, the best time of year. Absolutely. It's gets a little crisp out. It's like flannel season, sweatshirts and cute little boots. Yeah. And I love, I, I don't know, I just think fall fashion is cutest, but it's also the warmest. And I'm a big comfort person when it comes to clothes and like you mean oversized sweater and leggings and yeah let's go look at leaves yeah yeah so i'm pretty pumped for that yeah i don't know i i'm excited my brother's wedding is coming up um shouldn't be too much of a change just excited to get to celebrate that of course and other than that you guys i mean i don't know Allie's birthday just happened yes I'm Jealous. old again. Again. I'm always old. I'm so excited for Allie and I to get old, old, though, because we are going to fuck up that retirement home. Oh, my God. you kidding me? I'm going to play so many pranks on you. I'm going to, like, leave my dentures <laughs> in your little fridge and have it, like, scare the shit out of you. And then I'll take them and I'll figure out how to, like, rig them up so that you can twist a little thing and they'll chatter in your face. Oh, my God. Please. Yes. I love that. Oh my gosh. And then we'll like steal golf carts on the property. I mean, we want to go off property for um, legal reasons. I don't know. But <laughs> I don't know. Catch me if you can. I think it'll be a great ass time. Um, plus, I just think we'd look really good doing bingo together. <laughs> I can't wait. I was telling my mom the other day, I was talking to her and I was like, you know what? Like, this is all well and fine. Like this time being in my yeah. 20s and like, the grind and the house and everything like that but i feel like the next best part is going to be when i'm older getting to enjoy grandkids and get to yeah. go do like water aerobics <gasps> yes like oh my that's gosh. my i want to do chair yoga and i want to go to bingo night yeah on wednesdays and it to be like 4 p.m and i'm like oh this is like a little late but like i'm feeling but fine i'll, yeah. I'll be crazy i'm we'll feeling adventure let's just be crazy let's just <laughs> let's just do it I'm excited for all those things. Like, yeah, having kids will be fine, but grandkids, man. Yeah. that's That's got to be the best part. I don't know. I am really excited for all of my friends to have kids because then I essentially get grandparent experience by proxy by just being like, I get to spoil the shit out of you. Bye. And then when you cry, you go back to mom and dad. Yes. Bye. When you vomit, back to mom and dad. Mm-hmm. <laughs> yep, for sure. Oh, but... I get that. I think that'll be really fun. I'm also really looking forward to like my 40s. Yeah. Yeah. I don't know. I Whenever I think about like if people ask me how old I am, I don't know why I always want to say I'm 34. It just feels right. Mm-hmm. But I feel like 40 is like things are going well. Things are smooth sailing, especially with the plan at the moment of being childless. Like just 
oh, we went to like Italy this year. Next year we'll do like Rome or something. Because you I totally will too. Anything to provide for except for myself. So. I'll be getting postcards from you and I'll be like, oh my God. Two on my hips. They're both screaming and I'll be uh-huh. like, oh, well, Abby's having fun. <laughs> that bitch. I hope um, she brings me home a cute little like cute little bracelet of course i will and also um you and your fam will get like well especially the kids for like their 13th birthday they'll get a little vacation on auntie abby really cute um starting the teen years right yeah so that way they like me what even when they hate you oh for sure (laughs) yeah no i think that'll be a common thread though they well they'll need that though you need a trusted adult in your life for when the other trusted adults in your life are just like ruining it and they don't need to know that we're not siblings right no it'll be auntie abby but if they ask yeah of course we are yeah can't you see duh the resemblance do you see how (laughs) tall she is and how tall i'm not and how that yeah. completely makes sense and how all of our facial features are definitely the same for sure for sure <laughs> absolutely not even a <laughs> doubt about it well mom had some explaining to do mm. but <laughs> um yeah maybe we can do that we'll say we were like separated at birth for sure we, well, we were, were the original um switched to birth yeah from the show <gasps> yeah they stole it from us those bastards those bitches Anyway, anyway. <gasps> stop it. Jinx. All right. Are we ready to get into it? I'm so pumped to get into it. Okay. Um, Abby has no idea what we're talking about, but y'all do because you clicked on it. So we'll we'll have the skippers stop skipping. Okay. So stop it. Stop. Skipper no skipping. Skipper no skipping. Skipper no skipping. Good. Thank you. Yeah. So hi, hello, and welcome back to your favorite true crime podcast. Aww. About time for true crime. You guys. You all shouldn't have. Today, do I have a case for you? Ooh. We are going to jump into it because we are covering the life of Sharon Kinney. And let me tell you, it's quite the wild ride. Ooh. So let's start from the beginning. Sharon Elizabeth Hall is what she was born as. She was born in November of 1939. So we are rewinding the clock here. Okay. And we're going to go to Independence, Missouri. Ooh. Which just sounds like the most any town USA it could be. Yeah, it's true. And growing up, Sharon dreamed of the day that she'd get out of that town. Also understood. Um, She just wanted to spread her wings and fly. She wanted to get the frick frack out of there. The town was growing around her. Um, I believe it's more of like a city today. It's very busy. But at the time, it was a quaint, small town that was kind of on its way up, just wasn't there yet. Okay. But she had bigger dreams, girl. She wanted to be in the city. She's thinking LA. She's thinking New York. She's thinking anywhere but where she is. Oh, she's going to be a downtown girly. For sure. She thought she was destined to get out. She just couldn't imagine her life still being in there. And I couldn't for the life of me find anything about what was so bad about this place to her or what it was that completely turned her off. I couldn't find any like trauma that happened there or some event that would make her want to hightail it out of there but maybe it was just being around the same people all the time in a smaller place and she's not very close with her family that maybe that was sort of just the motivator to just like anywhere but here i also think that's a pretty common teenage thought i also think that similarly it's like you have to choose it like it's not your town you didn't choose the town i think a lot of teens feel that way leave and then come back once it's their choice. Right. And they're like, oh, yes, this is my place. Like, I made a spot for myself here instead of just, like, 
well, I didn't pick. My parents picked and now I'm here and I hate it. Right. The way that you do when you're like 15, you know? Of course. Well, and that's exactly how she felt. So as a teenager, she spent her free time like grabbing magazines and trying to watch what she could and see what she could and read. She read all about the celebrity gossip. She was all up to date on that. You could ask her anything about what was going on. She (laughs) ate that up. And she was kind of drawn to glitz and glam that felt so far away from where she was literally in the middle of the U.S. and Missouri. Right. So over the summer that she was 16, Sharon met a boy. Ooh. And yes, this boy was tall and he was handsome and he was sweet and he was cute. And when you're 16 and you meet someone, you just think they are the bee's knees. Oh, yeah. I mean... 16-year-old me, that checks all the boxes. Of course it does. And so for her, this guy, this dreamy man, was James Kinney, and he was 22 years old, and she was immediately smitten. And for those of us doing the math, yes, she's 16, he's 22. It's not insane, but I don't think I'd let my 16-year-old date a 22-year-old today. I know that times were different. It always feels cooler when you're younger. And well, then you get to that age and you're like, would I date someone six years younger than me at this point exactly in time? That's exactly it, right? So we've said this before here too, that it's almost like a rite of passage when you're in your teens and you meet someone who's older and you're attracted to them. It does not matter what they do, whatever it is, you just think it's cool. When you're younger, all you can think about is growing up and the freedom that comes with it. And then there's this older person and... You think they're kind of cute, and so it's cool. They might have a car. They might have their own place. Maybe they go to school or have a job or whatever. Of all the people they could choose, they chose you. And wow, how special are you because of that, right? Right. And if you weren't like her in that way, you probably knew her. You probably had a friend that was like, oh, well, he's just so whatever. And of course, she's head over heels. And I think later, when you get to the the age that they were when you thought it was so cool to be that old and you're like wow not only do i not know shit about (laughs) shit i would never date someone that young or that immature i mean me as a sophomore in high school is a significantly different person than me as a junior or a senior in my undergrad of course that is remarkable to me and i don't think that that age difference is terrible later on but it's that whole stage of life change like those are two very different ages 16 and 22 is different than 40 and 46 you know well right and I wasn't around then obviously in the 40s and 50s that we're going to be kind of talking about here for a little bit but fair I forgot we were back then but there but there is a difference right and there's that societal different sort of idea here and maybe this was socially acceptable at the time maybe it was socially acceptable where they were but it did seem that they both liked each other they met at some church function. So it just seems okay. like this very cute 1950s fairy tale love story with like diners and drive-ins and little poodle skirts. And dives. And, oh, yeah. sorry. <laughs> and, and little red lipsticks and all that uh, fun the stuff. pin curls. Yeah. Okay. So James was actually a college student. So he was home for the summer. He had also grown up in independence. Okay. But they didn't know each other. Yeah. And so he was back for the summer before he went back in the fall. Okay. And Sharon, when she was growing up, she was originally from Independence and then her family moved for a few years and then they came back. So maybe that's why they hadn't met before when maybe if they had both lived there the whole time growing up, maybe they would have crossed paths because again, this place wasn't this giant city like she had hoped it was. Right. But regardless, they met this summer. Okay. And he was an engineering student at Brigham Young 
University, which was in Utah, which, according to our handy-dandy Google Maps, was over a thousand miles away. Yikes. So this would but take... But also an engineer. Nice. Not bad, right? And this would take about 15 hours by car today to get there. So whatever that translated to in the 50s, whatever kind of public transportation they probably would have taken yeah. or something like that. I doubt she was getting herself to and from there to try to visit him if that were her plan. Yeah. But this was quite the distance away. And for this budding romance, it was a little upsetting, but also everything that Sharon was looking for. Right. An attractive guy who had access to the world hours and hours away from where she grew up. Yeah. She was game. And this was exciting and proof that she could get out because someone else did it. Hell yeah. I get that feeling. So they spent the summer dating, both very into each other. And when summer came to an end, it was time for him to make the thousand mile trek back to school. He still had his fall classes. He wasn't going to drop out of school or anything, but he was actually sad to leave her and promised that he'd stay in touch, promised they'd write letters to each other. And that's sort of what she had to hold on to. Okay. Shortly after, though, James received a letter from Sharon in which she told him that she was pregnant. Oh. And that was a big uh uh-oh. He was Mormon, very devoutly religious. Sex before marriage was a no-no, and surely a child out of wedlock was frowned upon. Certainly. And again, from a small town where everybody knows you and everybody knows what you did, it wasn't great. Right. So James did what many young men were encouraged to do at the time, is when you knock someone up, you married them, and you married them fast. Hell yeah. So about this time in October of 1956, they married. Okay. Sharon converted she also became mormon i'm not exactly sure what she was before i think it was some kind of sect of christianity but really this wasn't her bag this was not her thing she did it for the formality of it absolutely i get that so the newlyweds moved to utah where he was still going to school so she's like oh cool and i get to get out of town hell yeah and he's still doing engineering school Know that there's also some historical significance with Utah and Mormonism. I don't entirely know what it is, but I went to school with quite a few kids that were Mormon that ended up in Utah as like sort of their community of Mormonism, which is very interesting. I just don't know a lot about it. Yeah, I think there's still a pretty good population there. And I wonder if that's part of the reason he chose to go to school out there, because this wasn't near his home town. Or at least in this time where... You know, I I went to school a little further than that from home, but it was a lot easier for me to get back and forth and to talk to people. Like if that's part of his parents' comfort with letting him go that far too, I'm just could have been, yeah, for sure. Yeah, I'm just speculating, but it's it's interesting. So they're in Utah, and he's still going to school. He is, and yep. she's just at home being pregnant. Yes, with okay. him. Now the thing is, though, so they moved to Provo, Utah, P R O V O, and I'm sure someone will tell okay. me if I'm pronouncing that wrong, but that is where the school was located. But shortly after Sharon moved there to be with him, she had a miscarriage. Oh. Now, there are several sources that question whether or not she was even pregnant in the first place, okay, or if she saw him as a ticket far away, and how really was he going to confirm it? Okay, you can. I guess sort of look at it either way regardless she was no longer pregnant but then eventually very soon after became pregnant again so okay the the pregnancy that they got married because of was no longer but then she got pregnant anyway 
Well, and I, in general, I'm inclined to believe women until I'm given evidence that maybe I shouldn't. But also, you know, maybe this is taking advantage of a bad situation, but at least now they don't have to explain to people why they got married in one month and had a baby in two more. People mm-hmm. know math, you know? It's Well, true. And you can kind of see where we start to not believe Sharon so much, which is yeah. why I mentioned I'm probably in the camp that she wasn't. Okay. I think she was like, ah, yes, you're going to be an engineer and you're going to bring money home. And this means I get to get away. And it's a good life outside of Independence, Missouri. Sure. Exactly. Got it. But the pressure and stress of having a new wife and mind you, she's not someone he's known all too long. Right. They spent a summer together. He knocked her up and it was like, yep, okay, well, let's get married. Summer loving made me a kid. Yep. Seriously. Yeah. So he's got this new wife, this new marriage, and now a new baby. And they are far from home. Again, thousand miles away. Right. But girl, tonight you look so pretty. Oh. Yes, you do. But now they're living very far from home mm-hmm. and all of these things are going on and they don't have any support from any family. Right. right. There's no one there. He's balancing school on top of marriage and baby. And he's feeling spread thin. Again, he's 22 years old. Yeah, that's young. And he decided he needed to make a change. He had to let one of those things go. And it was the baby. No, I'm just kidding. Um, <laughs> but But he did Sorry. actually decide to leave school. Okay. Because it was it was too Aww. much. Okay. So now that he was out of school, there wasn't really a reason to stay out in Utah. So the couple went back to the only place they'd ever known, which was no. Independence, Missouri. And now Sharon is back in the place she swore she wouldn't be back in. The place she didn't want to be. But this time as a wife and a mother to a newborn baby girl. Okay. So when they moved back, they moved kind of right next door to where James's parents lived. Okay. Um, I don't believe it was in the same home. Right. If it wasn't next door, it was up the road. I mean, they were a stone's throw away from them. And his parents were not Sharon's biggest fans. Yeah, I could imagine, given all of the circumstances leading up to the union. In their eyes, she didn't fit the bill of what they'd hoped for. My guess, and I'm only guessing because I think it was likely for the time, that they had footed the bill for his education. So I'm sure that his devout, strict Mormon family wasn't thrilled to fork over money for school just for him to get a girl pregnant, leave the school anyway, without his degree. And it sounds like in the last year or so. Yes. Yeah. So they weren't thrilled about that. And even though she had converted to their religion, she wasn't raised in their faith. And that mattered to them. Yeah. They also knew it was very clear that she really didn't take it seriously. And this was a big part of their family. And it was a big part of James, too. It wasn't just his parents forcing that on him. It was something that he was serious about and something that he believed in. Yeah. And they're seeing that their daughter-in-law now does not share those same views and doesn't have that support for him. Yeah. So they were a little troubled by that. She just wasn't a true believer. And she had likely gone through all the motions and converted because it was expected, but not because it was something that she was passionate for. Right. And not only did his family pick up on that, but the community around them could kind of tell. Yeah, there. it's a fine line when you're doing something like that out of tradition or respect for an like a counterpart. Um, or when you just mailed it in because... Right, because... You had to. 
oh, well, now I'm pregnant and I, I need this dude. So. Mm-hmm. Exactly. Yeah. So obviously there's tension in that dynamic and the support that they probably had hoped to have by moving home wasn't all that maybe they thought it would be. Okay. And in all relationships, marriages, friendships, what have you, there will be times that are tougher than others. Yeah. There's growing pains and maybe some waves of distance. But unfortunately, in their case, I would not say that the kinds of fights that they had and issues that they had, they were going to recover from. Okay. Sharon was bored. She was bored of being a housewife. She was bored of taking care of kids. Now they've got two. Okay. The once mesmerizing man who she thought was the answer to all of her problems turned out to just be human. Doesn't it suck when that happens? With flaws like everyone else who didn't whisk her away and didn't do every single thing for her, and they began fighting. They didn't have a ton of helpful support from family members. It's kind of isolating. Money was tight. Bills added up, and Sharon had a spending problem. She plunged the family into debt, and I don't think James knew how bad it was. And then she was reminded again of how difficult it would be to get out. Because when she was 16, she thought it would be hard. Now she's a wife and mom of two. And she spent all their money away. Now how much harder is it going to be to get away? Significantly. So James had revisited an old fling. It was with a woman who he'd been with before Sharon. And when Sharon found out, it obviously did not go well. Yeah. Uh, What James might not have known at the time, though, was that Sharon, too, had reconnected with an ex. And so she was spending quite a bit of time with him. And so, yes, they were both cheating on each other. And the marriage had really started to disintegrate. It's like that Pina Colada song, except worse. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah, all of it, for sure. So the fighting got worse and the couple contemplated divorce. But for a religious couple in what was now the early 60s, this was really frowned upon yeah half of marriages today end in divorce but the emphasis on the family unit in those days was so much stronger and that's not to say that half of marriages probably shouldn't have ended in divorce then as well but it did make it significantly harder to just be a human after divorce well yeah and there was a lot of pressure not to and i don't think that we can understand today by and large how it was then because we don't have those same it's just a different society it's a different world yeah it's a different um expectation for everyone good bad or otherwise but it is just different and so after all of this talk of divorce sharon goes okay fine i will consider it but here's what i need i want custody of our kids okay i want to keep the home that we live in so you need to leave and i want money to the tune of a thousand dollars to cover expenses while i try to get a job okay Because remember, she's a stay-at-home mom. Right. So she'd have to start from scratch. She'd have to go find work. And one that would not only support her, but her kids. Right. And James doesn't know what to make of this whole thing. Because again, divorce was really not something that he's seen in his family or anything like that. So he went to his parents and talked to them about the situation. Okay. And just said, this is is what I'm dealing with. This is what I'm, I'm looking at. And for them, divorce was not in their vocabulary. Their faith strictly prohibited that. And they'd ask, they said, if you're asking us, you go home to your wife, you work on things, and you make it right with her. Mm-hmm. You've got two kids by her. And also, even if you're not someone's biggest fan, I think it speaks to how they viewed the commitment. I think that's beautiful. 
they viewed the commitment and they also viewed the life for their grandkids right and what that might look like and so james did exactly that he went home to sharon and he said Uh well i was thinking of it but really i want to work on this i want to stay together so supposedly this is what they did okay and i don't think it's impossible but i do have a hard time believing that they both put their best foot forward and really gave this a try maybe they just mailed it in yeah before they just couldn't take it anymore i'm not sure it seemed to me that they were both ready to separate but then these external pressures kept them together and it really wasn't out of love or passion for each other right or even an honor to the commitment to see how long they could make it just like oh well nobody else supports us doing what we want to do so in case you guessed it this didn't exactly work out and the pair were less happy than they were before yeah that'll do it So we're going to fast forward here to March of 1960. Okay. So if you and I were around in 1960, we may be watching Gunsmoke. Cute. We're probably watching The Price is Right, which I would still do now. Absolutely. The Ed Sullivan Show, maybe Perry Mason, and I would definitely be listening to Frank Sinatra and Paul Anka. Ooh, heck yeah. Think Civil Rights, Vietnam War, and also think Starved Rock Murders from a few (laughs) episodes back because those three women were killed the same week that we're going to be talking about. Holy moly. That's just a fun little Spin the globe timeline here. Put a different yeah. bin down. Holy shit. Okay. So we're going to zoom specifically into March 19th, 1960. Again, we are still in Independence, Missouri. Okay. With Sharon and James Kinney. They had a church event to attend that evening and Sharon was getting ready in the master bathroom that was off of their bedroom. Okay. James had decided to take a nap and he laid down in bed and Sharon said that when she was getting ready, their two-year-old daughter entered the bedroom and she heard her say something along the lines of, Daddy, how does this work or am I doing this right? And then Sharon heard a very loud bang. So she walks out of the bathroom. Okay. She looks at the bed and her husband's still lying down. So, okay. But when she gets closer, she sees that blood has pooled around his head. Oh. And then she sees their two-year-old holding a gun oh my god that belonged to james and she's apparently completely beside herself she's shocked she immediately calls for help and sadly james had a gunshot wound to the back of his head and he was pronounced dead oh my god he was only 25 what the fuck so they have their little one their two-year-old they have a under a year old baby boy sleeping in another room and she seems absolutely beside herself sharon's telling investigators that their daughter has some toys that might have looked similar okay that maybe that's what it was like the gun yeah the gun what belonged to james so it it would have been in the house but okay you know she really couldn't think of much else and investigators on the scene immediately try piecing together what happened right sharon's 21 she's distraught many of the officers felt really bad for her she was a very petite small woman okay they tried talking to the daughter they tried talking to the two-year-old and she's two so have you talked to a two-year-old lately how did that go um not linear i know that and i'm not saying go pluck a two-year-old and like try to talk to them and see what happens but i'm saying you know the age. Oh, yeah. No, it's like, well, I did this at the playground today. Do we have any more Jolly Ranchers? What's that guy's name? <laughs> yeah, except semi-full sentences. And mm-hmm. it's just, you know what I mean? It's a two-year-old. And at this point, she was just terrified. She 
was scared of the noise because that's a loud noise. Yeah. And while she doesn't understand the extent of what's happened, she does know that there are now a bunch of strangers at home and she knows something's wrong. She knows mom's upset. She knows other people don't look happy. And she knows daddy is not. Yeah, but she's up. two. And so here's where the pivotal decision, I believe, was made. Investigators chose not to test for gunshot residue. Okay. They didn't test Sharon or the child. And uh, the two-year-old's name is out there. And if you yeah. really wanted to see it, you could find it. I'm not going to name her. I'd like to give her a little bit of a a chance. Obviously, Break. she's not two anymore, but she deserves some space from this. So those were the only two people in the home that could have done anything. Right. Because it's even a long shot for a two-year-old to do it, but an infant... Yeah, a sleeping infant in the other room who can't walk. Yeah, I highly doubt that. So (laughs) also highly doubt the whole two-year-old thing, but we'll get there. So it does take some force to fire a gun. The tests that they used in 1960 were not what they are today. Today, we've got all different kinds of technology and it's fairly easy to do. We got that newfangled fancy shit. Hales, yeah. But back then, the way it was really done from like the 30s until the 70s was using hot paraffin wax okay not how it's done today but it's what we had available to us back then and it's not the most accurate way to do it we know now that it was not the most accurate way but it was the most accurate way that was available of course so if it was going to be used that's what would be used now The way that this would work is they would use the wax to make a cast of the hand that they Mm. were testing. And once the cast was complete, they would then spray it with some kind of solution that would detect gunshot residue. Okay. So. But they didn't do that. But they didn't do that. Okay. So maybe it was time consuming. Maybe it would be a little bit uncomfortable depending on how hot the wax is. I don't know. I wasn't there. Um But with all of this, this isn't enough for me to choose not to use this tool available to me, especially after a man was shot dead as he slept. Yeah, that's uncalled for in any scenario. And so they felt bad for her. They thought Sharon was distraught that she'd already gone through enough, that she had her child to care for. She had all of these things. And I think it's important to point out that James was shot in the back of the head, so they ruled out any theories that he had done this to himself. Right. And this wasn't what she was claiming. But it's important to make sure that you know what you're dealing with. But if you are considering every possible outcome here. Right. And how it got to this point, James did not shoot himself. Well, and it's also important, I think, for me to note that, you know, I know that we've grown and we just got over saying that times were different, but like... Even if you're, you know, a surviving victim of a death like this, uh, it only hurts you more to not have answers. So if doing those tests that might be a little uncomfortable for the moment, you're not doing because you don't want her to be uncomfortable, she's already grieving and potentially grieving without closure. And regardless, this is your job. Right. This is your job. It's your job. Please do it. I like that. So whatever their reasoning, they chose not to, right? Yeah. But they did still wonder how a two-year-old could do this. So it wasn't lost on them that, well, Jesus, she's only two. What the hell? So they took this little girl and brought her to a room. 
okay sat her down and presented her with an unloaded firearm just like the one that killed her dad okay and i just have to say what a visual yeah okay it's like jack jack from the incredibles <laughs> like a baby with weapons what the hell it's I just the idea with the 32 caliber like it oh. just doesn't so she would pick it up but she never pulled the trigger so okay. when they just wanted to see how she interacted with it see what she did she would pick it up but she never held it the way that she would have needed to right. she never held it steady and this was unloaded so the weight is different right so it's actually heavier when it's loaded of course so it didn't really give them any answers. I mean, could she pick it up? Yes. Yeah. Is it possible, I suppose, that she could do it? Yes. But she didn't show any indication of knowing how or having experience. No. And she might have had toys that looked like this. She probably had toy guns that she played with. I mean. Yeah. Little cowgirl. She's a little pew, kid. Pew. But we have no reason to believe that she really did. She's not like, this is what I did. Right. Right. So they can't confirm if she would have had the strength to do that because, again, they never gave her a loaded one, obviously. Right, because they're... And James was up in the bed when he died, so she would have had to climb up onto the bed with this loaded gun, the weight of that, mm-hmm. crawl to him, hold it over him, keep it steady enough, and pull the trigger. And also, didn't Sharon say that she asked a question? Yeah. Am but I holding James this right? James is asleep? Yep. Okay. And maybe she didn't know. I mean... Okay. We'll, That's fair. We'll give, we'll give credit here. We'll, we'll just... We'll unpack this as we go. Okay. But that's the scene. Sharon's saying, well, I was getting ready, so this must have been what happened. Okay. And now they're trying to consider the possibility of this. And is it possible? Sure. sure. Is it likely? Is it probable? Did it really happen? We don't know. Probably not. So my conspiracy theorist brain tells me to follow the money. It always does. Okay. <laughs> In this case, is no different. He had a life insurance policy. Oh, man. Now, I see numbers everywhere I look saying that this was like $250,000. Okay. But then I see other numbers that say $29,000. And when I did an inflation calculator, the $29,000 is about equivalent to $300,000 today. Got it. And when the articles were written that I read were probably about 10 years ago. So it probably was around $250,000. Okay. So I'm going with the insurance policy being $29,000 in 1960s money. Right. Which is about $300,000 today. Correct. Because cool. inflation's a bitch. Now. Yeah. This was a shockingly large policy on a young, healthy man. Yeah. Which raised eyebrows. And within the month, Sharon had collected this money. And a lot of people point to her getting the insurance money as like, oh, that makes her guilty. No, that's what it's there for. Also, yeah. Like, if you're going to have a life insurance policy, that's so that the people that you care and love about can make ends meet while they're... In the aftermath of all of this. Right. So I, I don't like, in any case, don't use that as a point of guilt. Don't use what's available to them and what they're encouraged to use as a way to cite that this is wrongdoing on their part. Also, I would just say that insurance company sounds quick as hell. Good for them. It says Correct. more about them than her, I think. Like, <laughs> And 
they didn't have any evidence of wrongdoing on right. Sharon. And maybe they started to kick themselves thinking, shit, we should have done further forensic testing, even though that probably those weren't the words in their vocabulary. But you know yep. what I mean? But they did keep tabs on her. Okay. They wanted to know how she was spending money, what she was spending it on, how frequently was she spending, right? Because she's okay. got a bit of a spending issue. Yeah, absolutely. And some of the locals began to whisper and people had their suspicions, but to their knowledge, she did nothing wrong. She's just a grieving widow who is now up to her neck in money trying to put the pieces together. Right. That's what it looks like. Now, with this money, she was smart. She tried to set up her children for success the way that nice. james would want okay she paid off their home she started college funds for them she focused on their futures that's amazing does that sound good yeah it didn't happen i made that up fuck you no instead <laughs> what she did was she bought herself the car that she always wanted what a fucking beaut she dreamed of having a thunderbird a ford Thunderbird. are you kidding i'm not kidding no so she went to the dealership and within the month she had her dream car Till her daddy takes the T-bird away. Now, the car salesman that she went to, she actually thought was very cute. His name was Walt Jones. Are you kidding? No. Slow it down, sweetheart. What the fuck? Walt was in his early 20s as well. Um, He was also married and he also had two kids and he'd been working in sales for a bit. And Sharon just thought the sun shone out of his ass. Wow. Wow. And uh, all of a sudden... This widow of a month was smitten for a new man, a married man, a married father of two young children, man. Um, so she has a type. <laughs> correct. But they were more alike than they thought because uh, he actually had no issue cheating on his pregnant wife, Patricia, with her. Patricia deserves better. So does James, obviously. But So Sharon and Walt began this affair. Okay. Oh, Walt. Um, it was only like a few weeks and okay. then he broke it off. Okay. So, after they started dating for a little bit, a month that goes by, and Walt walks into the local police station, and he is desperate. He is freaking out. Okay. Funny how time always works these things out. Isn't it? He reports that his wife has gone missing. His wife, Patricia. His pregnant wife. Oh, my God. He admitted to having the affair with Sharon, and he said that he ended it. And that Sharon was upset because she said that she was pregnant. Whoa. Sound familiar? Yeah. Walt said that he didn't believe her and said that he wanted to work on his marriage with Patricia. That he had his priorities, that she was a bit of, you know, she was a mistake. It was a couple weeks fling, but he's got a wife and kids at home and that's where he needs to be. Yeah. And he said the same day that he had this pretty stern conversation with Sharon, um, he and Patricia had gotten in a fight. Okay. So he was just batting a thousand that day. He was striking out on all planes here. Has a fight with his mistress, has a fight with his wife. I mean, the guy can't catch a break. No, he's really juggling a lot. And they had this argument this afternoon. The next day, Patricia went to work. I think she worked in like a clerk's office or something like that. And um, she was expected home right after work. Yeah. And she didn't come home. And Weird. that was odd. So he goes to her work and speaks with the coworkers, And they said that, yeah, after we were leaving, she told us not to wait up and that she was going to get a ride from someone. Okay. And then they watched her head over to a light colored Chevy that was driven by a woman. A woman was wearing like these uh, really big sunglasses, looked like she was kind of trying to 
be hidden. Hide herself a mm-hmm. little bit. Leave that with you. And uh, then they were like, yeah, so she must have been getting a ride with her. Because that was, she said she's going to get a ride from a woman. Yeah. And then she walked up to this woman. So, yeah, we she said, don't wait. So we didn't. Yeah. And that was the last that her coworkers saw her. And then she never made it home. That's so freaky. And Walt realized that though Sharon doesn't have a light Chevy, her dad did. Oh. And he immediately had a bad feeling. So as soon as he realized that, he called Sharon. And was like, did you approach my wife? And Sharon said, yeah, I did. She said, I went to Patricia and I told her that I have a sister that was having an affair with you. (laughs) So Sharon tells Walt that she did approach his wife. Okay. That she did talk to Patricia and that she told Patricia that her sister was actually sleeping with Walt. Oh, shit. And even though, again, Sharon doesn't have a sister. Right. So um, Sharon's like big sunglasses. Like, I have to tell you, my whore of a sister sleeping with your husband. And it's not a sister. You know, woman to woman, just to have your back. What you know, us dick. girls got to stick together. Okay. right? So you sleep with this woman's husband and then you try to be the hero. That's like, hey, girl to girl. He's cheating on you. But not with me. God, no, I would never. Ugh. Just with my sister. But I actually know the bitch. And you should know that. Um, I, that is, that is snake in the grass shit. That is so slimy and awful. It is, but also consider, I hope that Patricia saw right through it. Cause if this is like a small town, Missouri, like everyone knows everyone. I hope she's like, that bitch doesn't have a sister. Well, Sharon told Walt that after that, she and Patricia went for a drive. Oh, they were just kind of like venting and chatting and talk some more. And then Sharon dropped her off like a block away from their house. Okay. And then Sharon said that Patricia got out of her car and then went up to a man in a different car and then was chatting with him. And at that point, Sharon drove away because she didn't have I mean, she's like, hey, I did what I wanted to do. I chatted with her. She left, goes talking to another guy. And I figured, yeah, sure. Go ahead. He's cheating on you. You may as well, girlfriend. Yeah, this is the this is the kind of shit. So, why are you always lying? Sharon tells Walt that Patricia will come home, but she was really, really upset to get the news. (laughs) Okay, hearing that her husband was having an affair and everything, it was just really hard on her, and that she needed some space to cool down. So, don't worry, Patricia will come home to you. Just give it a little bit. Oh, but the next day, Patricia didn't go to work. Yeah, and. Walt knows that that's not like her. And she's like, to hell with calling Sharon to confront her. I'm going to go see her. Okay. And that's what he did. He went to her house. And he was upset. And he actually even threatened her. Like, he went in her home and he picked up a knife and demanded to know where his wife was. Okay. And Sharon didn't give up a thing. And this is the point that he walks into the police station. Uh, So this is where we are. So he's like... I'm admitting to all of this. I'm telling everything that's happened. I have no idea where my wife is. She wouldn't leave us. She wouldn't leave her kids. Yeah. And I know this woman had something to do with it. Okay. He spilled his guts and he's worried beyond any other emotion. Of course. I mean, this person that you married, and don't get me wrong, I'm not condoning or there's no part of me that feels like cheating is okay. No. But I will say the only points in his favor is that he's the one that's like, hold up. No, this was wrong. This is not where my priorities lay. And then he came clean because he was like, yeah, that was fucked up of me. But like, what's happening? And the last interaction he had was 
with his wife was a fight right that's terrifying and i don't know if it was about the affair like if he had right come clean to her and told her but then why would she have been so upset if she talked to sharon and was she surprised and all of these things i mean you got to take what sharon says with a grain of salt and we'll talk about that in a little bit but right now he just believed that sharon was getting revenge that she didn't want to be dumped she was pissed that she was dumped she told walt that she was pregnant yeah and walt was like "Mm, so is my wife yeah and that's where i'm gonna be and i don't believe you and how does he know it's his well that's just it but he's like she's getting back at me right she took my wife somewhere and now i don't know where she is well and i also think it just speaks volumes to the kind of person that patricia is that he'd be like oh yeah she'd be pissed at me but like she's there for her kids she comes home she does what she needs to do so around the same time police get a call from a man named john and it's b-o-l-d-i-z-s so boldies okay bold boldies okay i say boldies but really we're just gonna call him john okay sure now john said he was driving he was on a bit of a i don't know little trip if you will okay and he had to take a leak so he pulled down this area that's not frequented there's yeah. like an abandoned barn there but it's also known as like the local lover's lane Ooh, go piss you got it and romance when he got out of the car to relieve himself he saw what he thought was the body of a woman oh john we're and really in it now he was spooked so investigators <laughs> arrive at what i was gonna ask if he had performance anxiety but you what do you think he still peed or not if you if you pull over, you're at the point. And maybe it's different for a guy. If you can just like pee anywhere, yeah. For me, that's an event. Yeah. I need to find. I need to squat. I need I, some kind of toilet paper. Yeah. I need. I don't know. Enough I need of a something. privacy that like I know everyone isn't gonna see me using makeshift toilet paper. And yeah. that being said, if I'm at that point, then I've really got to go. Can yeah. I hold it? I don't know. I don't know what he did. All we know, supposedly, is that he had to go. Okay. He sees this woman. He goes, oh, geez. And he hightailed it back and made a call. Okay. So then police get out there. Sure. Police find a purse nearby the body. So it was the dead body of a woman. It wasn't. It's never a mannequin. But they always say it looked mm. like a mannequin or whatever it was. It really was. So they found a purse. Inside the purse was an ID. The ID said 23-year-old Patricia Jones. No. So we're able to confirm that this is Walt's wife. And she'd been shot three times. Once in the stomach, once in the shoulder, and once in the head. Whoa. The scene had been staged to look as though a sexual assault had happened. Okay. The way that the body was positioned, the way that the clothing was set up, it was in a way to make it look like an assault had happened. And this is actually what we call in the criminal justice world uh, staging. So when a yeah. when an offender tries to make a scene look like something else happened to steer an investigation in the wrong direction. Or even as part of their like MO and trademark. But in this situation, there was no forensic evidence that there was any kind of assault. So this is very similar to those Starved Rock murders in that way. It isn't unlike that, right? Yeah, that's nuts. Now, they got to look into this John guy a little bit more. Mm-hmm. This area where Patricia was found, again, was known as the Lover's Lane. 
So it was a good distance off the main road. You wouldn't accidentally happen upon it, but the locals did know that it existed. They knew where it was. Right. But because it was so far off the main road, investigators doubted that he was there to go to the bathroom. Okay. You know, it's like they had so many other places before that that you could have stopped that were the exact same. There's no reason you'd go that far down. You wouldn't go that deep, right? Okay, sure. Yeah. So then John changes his story and he said, well, actually, I was taking my girlfriend out to Lover's Lane to, you know, but then we saw the body and it like that killed the mood. Yeah, that would would kill the mood, guy. For sure. But he said that. When they happened upon the body that his girlfriend was pretty freaked out by it and she wanted him to tell the police but wanted to be dropped off at home first. She was like scared and just didn't much want to go home. I get that. So then he changed his story again because come on, John. And uh, actually (sighs) he said that he and his girlfriend had heard about the missing woman, Patricia Jones. They knew that this woman was being John, you you get so scared. Okay. And his girlfriend was like, I want to go look for her. I want to find her. And he said that his girlfriend suspected that Patricia must have been angry at her husband for cheating. Mm-hmm. Okay. And probably took a guy out to Lover's Lane to get back at her husband. Because what better way to do that than Who's to do that? Who's his girlfriend again? And when they went looking to find her the missing woman hoping to find her like with a man or something because Mm -hmm. apparently they've got nothing better to do than try to go find a woman that it really hadn't been super advertised yet was missing also mind you business uh when they went looking for her they found her body instead Uh so they pressed john for who his nameless girlfriend was and he wouldn't give it up and they were like you need to tell us who this is right now and he says okay okay fine her name's sharon we were friends from school. We had dated on and off over the years. She just didn't want to accompany me here today. Okay. So Sharon apparently has a whole hell of a lot more time than I do. And I don't even have kids. Yeah. I don't know how you have so many boyfriends, maintain a home, have two kids under five, go searching for bodies, snooping in people's businesses, what have you i can't even get my laundry done on a weekly basis i don't even meal prep like come on (laughs) so the police get john sharon and walt okay not together but they round them all up at the same time because they're like okay one of you knows something is it the cheating husband is it the mistress or is it the mistress's boyfriend right so they do a polygraph test uh, the polygraph with John goes smoothly. He passes. Okay. The one with Walt goes smoothly. He passes. And when it's Sharon's turn, Sharon refuses the test. Which we all know there's so many issues with polygraphs that that could be its own episode here. Yeah. But she has an awful lot of talking to do. And she talks and talks and talks and talks and talks. You'd think you'd want that corroborated and, you know... I'm assuming in the 1960s is not when we found out about all of the logistical errors and flaws with polygraphs. Mm-mm. So it's a lot more telling to me that she'd refuse than if she passed. Because mm-hmm. honestly, if you're good enough at lying to yourself, that's not a big feat. But if you think it's going to catch it, even if you're lying to yourself, you might not do it. Exactly. Ugh. Okay. 
they searched Sharon's home and they found an empty gun case for a 22 caliber pistol, much like the one that had killed James. Ain't that funny. Uh, Sharon had never gotten the gun back from the police, though. It was part of evidence as part of the investigation. It was not returned to her. It didn't actually belong to her. It belonged to her husband. Yeah. So apparently she had said that she had gotten a new gun weeks before her own now, but then she had lost it. So that's why they found the empty gun case, but no, no gun. Obviously, she was arrested for Patricia's murder. Okay. And then, because of that, and when they started piecing everything together, they actually arrested her for her husband, James Kinney's murder, too. Oh, okay. So, this is May of 1960 we're talking about. So, two months after he died. Okay. So, you have to remember that James was oh killed my God, and Patricia was killed. this happened in two months? Within a month of each other. That's so much. So, it wasn't like years had gone by and all of this time and she just had shit luck. Murder followed this woman. Yeah. Now, her trial was delayed a bit because they discovered that she was, in fact, pregnant. Okay. And we don't exactly know. I don't think we've got confirmation that it's Walt's baby. I think it likely is. I don't think the timeline matched up enough where it could have been James's before he had passed away. But I I do think it's Walt's child. Okay. And we think it's Walt's and not John. Correct. Okay. Now, during the trial for the murder of Patricia Jones, her defense team was pretty solid. Okay. Um, They had a few things to point out here. The biggest one being no murder weapon. Where is it? Where's the gun? Patricia was shot three times. Where's the gun? Okay. Can you tie this to my client? Sure. Okay. That's a fair tactic. Now, the other piece here was actually this, like, logistical clerical issue on the uh, funeral home's part, which really fucked the case. Oh. Because there was actually no autopsy done on Patricia. Not in, t- <sighs> not in time. So, Patricia's body was at the scene. It was brought yeah. from the scene to the funeral home by yeah. mistake. It should have gone to the medical examiner first, but instead... Brought to the funeral home. The funeral home had washed it, cleaned it, prepped it for the funeral. They'd already started the embalming process, which had completely destroyed any evidence that the medical examiner could have gotten at the time. Okay. So it was either completely gone or tainted. So Sharon's defense team is saying, you can't prove that she killed anyone because you can't even prove a time of death. Right. You can't even for sure say anything really about what happened just that there's a woman with three bullet holes in her body how can you say that my client killed her when you don't even know when she was killed fair okay right yeah it's a good tactic and then again there's no weapon because there's only an empty gun box right this bitch was acquitted of patricia's murder what people in the courtroom cheered because Oh, God. Okay. No one thought Sharon did this. She's this very petite, small. She's not even 25. Yeah. The jury was made of all men, 12 men. One of them asked for and actually got Sharon's autograph after. Ew. And there's a photograph of this. There's a photograph of her signing it. If I may. Um... Mm-hmm. No, just no. How about that? Correct. No. Maybe, um, 
maybe don't ask for autographs of people on trial for murder, even if they, uh, well, regardless of the outcome, you know. Well, the jury said <laughs> we acquitted her because there were just too many loopholes. Okay. And I agree. I don't think they had the information they needed yet. Yeah, they went to, to trial prematurely. They went and pretty it quick. It. And I don't know if she'd already, I believe she'd already had the baby at this point. So, like, okay. she's got this newborn and it, she she's looks like a, very, a yes. fresh baby young mama and she's all. She's, like, glowing and she's got all of that. Yeah. Something we've talked about before on this podcast, um, it has a place in this episode as well, is that there tends to be two main theories when we look at women on trial. Mm-hmm. One theory is the fairer sex theory. Women tend to be looked at through the lens that they are mothers, wives, daughters, sisters, and there's this innate, submissive, maternal, trustworthy quality in women that makes it difficult for us to convict them. And I say we, the universal we, make excuses for their behavior, right? We attribute it to some kind of external circumstances or reason, and as a result, we may not convict them at all. Right. Or we convict them on lesser charges because we've assigned this to them. We've, We've identified... You're maternal, you're more submissive, you're kinder, you're fairer, you're not capable of that. And so this theory goes on to point out that if a man had committed this exact same crime, the end result would be a harsher punishment just based on the fact that it's not a woman. Now, the other theory here is kind of the inverse of this, which is while we do believe that women are supposed to be the fairer sex and they shouldn't be capable of these atrocities, when they do commit those, we need to punish them even more harshly because how in the world could you be capable of that? How is that possible? You monster lady. <laughs> like, yeah. Because it, it's supposed to go against their submissive nature that they should innately have. And so I would ask that our <sighs> listeners keep this in the back of your minds. Yeah. Um, do you think this has a place here? Do you think it doesn't? And at the end, tell me what you think. I already think absolutely, but continue on. Well, exactly. So, does do one of these fit? Does neither? Let me know. Meanwhile, they're pre- preparing for the next trial. Okay. Okay, so this one is for James Kinney's murder. As you may recall, she was arrested for both of them. They started with Patricia's. They probably thought they had the most evidence right. here. That was fucked. <laughs> so, now we're on to this one. Now, John, remember John who found Patricia? He was having a tough time. Okay. Investigators still thought he was fishy because he kept changing his story and it made less and less sense each time he told it until he finally broke. Always. He said that he'd been dating Sharon for quite some time and that she had asked him in early March 1960 if he would kill her husband and she'd pay him a thousand bucks. Now, the equivalent of that today would be about ten grand. Okay. He said no. Good. She said, okay, but do you know anyone who would? Oh, Sharon. And then in a couple of weeks, James was dead. So John agrees to try to get Sharon to confess to the murders, or at least, like, the bribe to kill her husband. Right. But she doesn't crack. She won't admit it. And again, we're talking the 60s. It wasn't like he went in, like, bugged or everything. It was really trying to get her to say it out loud Yeah. in a way that wasn't over the phone or maybe more private or something. It was, like, in a car, but there was someone's, like, slinked in the back seat yeah one of those what do you think she was please 
like with a, what I, what I would do if I were in the back of that trying to catch her, my stomach would make a weird noise. Mm-hmm. I'd have to burp or something. Like I would be, I'd sneeze. I would get the fucking hiccups so bad. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> seriously. Seat, like, oh. like, is that a frog in here? What the fuck? What? Like, Why looking... is there a human shaped lump in the back seat? Correct. Seriously. And also, just being a woman means you're always looking in the fucking back seat for you a body to. shape. Like, you have to. <laughs> So there's no, yeah, there's no chance in hell. Okay. So they have to resort to, okay, we're just going to have John testify. Yeah. Because we can't get her to admit it and use that. So we're just going to have to rely on him explaining it on the stand. Sure. During the trial, James Kinney's parents stood by Sharon. Oh. Not her biggest fans. But they were vocal that they didn't think this was possible that they didn't think that she was responsible for the death of their son. Okay. And they said that they believed that their granddaughter had done it accidentally. So they believed the original story here, which is that the two-year-old shot her dad. What came out later was that this was all bullshit. They did believe Sharon was involved, but she had threatened to never let them see their grandchildren if they didn't speak out in her favor. (sighs) And the only thing they had left of their son and of his legacy was his kids absolutely so they would say whatever they had to to ensure that they could still be part of That's their lives like ripping away the only shreds left from grieving parents of course they're going to do what they need to it was just out of necessity but they didn't believe it okay and her defense team kind of tried to catch john i don't know skipping over his words a bit if you will because he had said, well, yeah, she'd said that she'd pay me a thousand bucks to kill him, but it did kind of sound like she was joking. Okay. So, then so oh, it's a joke. So they're like, okay, so it's, she was kidding. And so that completely kind of turned on everything upside down of what right. it, like, this was a murder for hire thing of like, oh, well, it was a joke. People can't joke. Right? Don't you love it when that happens? <laughs> Ultimately, though, she yeah. was found guilty. Of her okay. husband's murder. And she was sentenced to life. Okay. But don't celebrate yet. Boo. She appealed it and it was overturned. Okay. Yep. Oh, yeah. Just like that? Just like that. Wow. So then another trial happened and it was declared a mistrial. Oh, my God. Because okay. they could try her again, but that right. particular one. So then they tried again. Mistrial. Oh, my God. And that was because there was a conflict of interest between one of the jurors and like knowing somebody or something it, they should have gotten kicked out during voir dire they didn't and so then it was a mistrial for that reason not anything okay. about her testimony or anything but still so then october 1964 so the last trial was scheduled to begin but sharon was nowhere to be found mm. so she was out she was amongst the the, the people amongst yeah. the townsfolk until she was due to be back october 1964 Wow. So pretty much they just said, yeah, here's the date you need to be here for your trial. And that date came and went and she wasn't there. You see, Sharon had wanted a change of scenery. Who doesn't? And she wanted a new boyfriend. Who doesn't? And what Sharon wants, Sharon gets. Historically. So she dropped her kids off with her in-laws, her former in-laws, James's parents, in September of 1964, and she had gotten permission to go on a trip to Mexico. It was okay. all it was all legal. 
but she's like i will be back this is september i will be back by october for my court date but i do just want to go on a trip with my boyfriend and she did she headed to mexico with this man named francis and it's Pug- pugli p-u-g-l-i-e-s-e you pugly yeah yeah you put pu- no i'm just kidding <laughs> i think it's Pooglies. <laughs> really sorry but okay yeah once mm-hmm. in we're just gonna call him francis because it does kind of get a little bit confusing so once in mexico sharon changed her name not legally but she started going as Jeanette, Ooh. and she took his last name so it's like they're married um that hasn't worked out so well for people in the past pal well and so the thing is is not only is she traveling under this name, but she wanted to go there to get married. I don't know why they needed to go to Mexico to do that. I don't know if he was of Mexican descent or if that's where his family was or what have you, but they went on a vacation there and their goal was to end their being married. Now, her bail conditions allowed this. I don't know how the fuck they were able to do that. And Sharon, and I'm going to call her Sharon because I refuse to call her Jeanette, (laughs) said that her and her boyfriend got sick the first few days that they were there. So they got there and then they were kind of like... Down for the count. Yeah. Yeah. Stuck in their hotel room. I'm sure with nothing to do. But whatever. (laughs) She leaves the room. She's like, I got to go to the pharmacy. I got to get medicine for us. And she goes to the pharmacy and the store was closed. So she's like, well, now what am I to do? Except go to the bar next door. And have a few drinks. And that's well, what she did. Who among us? And when she's at the bar, she met a man. This man bought her a few drinks, told her she was pretty, and invited her to his room. And she went with him for science. Yeah. She, I, I guess there was either, like, she was going to buy something for him or from him, or a, I think maybe he was, like, showing her photos. I think we can all read between the lines of what was really going on, but this is what she said. Clutching oh. her pearls, like, oh, heavens, no, I would never... Shut the fuck up. I just anyway. wanted to see the photos of us fucking. <laughs> <laughs> so she goes with him to the room. Hotel clerk hears this really loud bang and goes to the room. Oh, my God. Let it go for like two fucking minutes, Sharon. Finds the man. His name is Francisco. So not Francis. Okay. Her boyfriend, Francisco Odones. The bar boy. Yeah. Yes. The guy from the bar. He's dead. He's been shot. Okay. When Sharon saw the clerk, she shot at him. Sharon. Now, she hit him, but she didn't kill him. She got him in the arm. But she did. Uh, I'm like, what the fuck? This woman. It's like most people, when they run away to a new country, do it to start over, not to keep going. I mean, if you were Sharon, has this not worked for you in the past, though? I mean, it has every single fucking time. But uh, if I'm also Sharon, I'm now being tried in a few weeks. (laughs) want to be done with it i just want to hang out with my boyfriend somewhere new sharon ran away from the scene yeah of course francisco's dead yeah but she was found obviously she didn't get very far this is a place she does not know very well naturally she's not navigating it as well as she would have and in independence missouri good they arrested her and her boyfriend francis for the murder of francisco out of it luckily Francis was acquitted because he had nothing to do with the murder. And then he was deported back to the U.S., which was the best case scenario for him. But Sharon, oh, Sharon, she was not acquitted. She was put on trial for this murder and she claimed it was self-defense. She said that he had been making unwelcome advances and she feared for her life. 
And okay. uh, the ballistics information was sent back to the U.S. and it was discovered that the bullets that were used against Francisco actually matched the gun that was used to kill Patricia Jones. Yes. Now, unfortunately, due to double jeopardy laws, she can't be charged with that murder, but it was confirmation that she killed Patricia. She was at the center of it. That's awesome. But they were able to actually compare and contrast these things because the the Mexican government doesn't know that she's on trial for murder or that she has been in the past. They just know that this is this woman who's going by Jeanette. Who's just killed a man in his hotel room. Yeah. So now they're like, oh, okay, so this is her game. So they find her guilty. Good. She was sentenced only to 10 years in prison for for this man's murder. That also confirmed that she murdered someone else, even though they can't try her for that. They can't try her for that, but she's double jeopardy. And she's in Mexico. They don't give a shit. Oh, this is in Mexico. This is still in Mexico. Okay. All right. I'm back. So Sharon appealed this 10 year sentence. Because she appeals everything. And again, when you're, you're incarcerated, you've got nothing but time and you've got nothing yeah. but time for appeals. So Why naturally, not write paperwork? you appeal everything. Now, this backfired on her because they were like, you know what? You're right. Something isn't right about this. I don't think we gave you enough time. So here's three Good. more years. So now she's got 13 years. And then after those 13 years were up, she was set to be deported back to the U.S. and stand trial for James's murder. Because remember, she was still supposed to do that. In October so, 1964. The Mexican government was like, you're grounded. And she was like, come on. And they were like, oh, that's two weeks. Oh, yep. <laughs> you want to make it three? Say it again. <laughs> if you don't eat your dinner. Yeah. No, a whole thing. For <laughs> oh sure. Oh, my God. Okay. And so this all happened in the few weeks before she was set to be back in court anyway for the murder of her husband. Okay. So naturally, she's <clears throat> missed that date. Yeah. And... Please don't have your hopes up that these 13 years were served because of fucking course they weren't. December 7th, 1969, she escaped the prison in Mexico. Escaped? Escaped. Sharon. Now, I will say this. Several theories here. Okay. And I've gone down quite a few rabbit holes in the process, so I'll give you the rundown of what I think is the most likely. Okay. And there's a few. One theory suggests Sharon seduced a guard at the prison, and that guard helped her escape. I give kind of credit to this idea for whatever reason she's able to get a boyfriend with the snap of her fingers and not just a fling but someone who actually wants to date her so i've got to think that whatever charm she has whatever charisma she has she's been able to use it to her advantage she's had time to practice it and i could see getting a guard especially if they're around her a lot if they need like if they're assigned to her or something like that whatever it is i have no doubt that she would try right i don't know if she succeeded but I could definitely see her trying anything she could. Now, that's one of them. The power had strangely gone out the night that she escaped. And once it was back, they did their head count and she was missing. Okay. So I think that kind of credits that idea as well. That Maybe, maybe the, someone just like shut it off. Maybe, yeah, someone yeah. did that or it was planned or took advantage of the power going out and let her out anyway. Yeah, and was like, oh, this is the shot. Another theory is that she was killed by the prison guards. Okay. Also possible. Um, I know what goes on in any kind of facility is not perfect. I'm not accusing Mexican prisons of doing that, but it sure as shit happens everywhere. Yeah. So would not be surprised to hear that it happened to her, especially with someone as vile as she was and the reputation that she had had for herself. Others believe that her attorney had helped her escape. 
she had a very odd close relationship with part of her defense team huh very strange and they believe that the attorney kind of used his attorney client confidentiality when questioned and like refused to say anything on the matter and never even answered uh. if he knew that is she alive is she dead where is she never answered a damn question curious there's something worth looking into there i think yeah sounds it and lastly, the other theory that I think is also likely is that the family of the man that she killed had her murdered. Oh. As possible. revenge. Because she only got 13 years. Maybe they got busted her out and then killed her. Maybe they paid someone in the prison to kill her. Whatever it was. Could be. Maybe she thought she was getting out. And then she got out into a van and she was like, oh, shit. What else? We don't know. <laughs> okay. As of today, in 2023... We have no solid answers. We have Holy no solid crap. leads. She, she just vanished. December 6th, 1969, she was in that prison. By December 7th, she was not. There are rumored sightings of her. There always will be in any kind of missing persons case. Right. Even the ones that you really care to find because you think they're good people. I mean, we're looking for her so we can punish her. Right. That people go missing all of the time for not this not under these circumstances and there's always going to be reported sightings if people are looking but it's been nearly 54 years and to this day no one has come forward wow i don't doubt that people know something but i do doubt anyone's going to say anything i think i give some merit to the killed theories i think it's possible i think there were a lot of people that would have wanted her dead i don't know how people in the u.s would have gone about I mean, she had a lot more enemies here, but oh, she yeah. didn't make any friends there. No. Yeah, I think it'd be hard to go 54 years, right, without a confirmed spotting or someone knowing something or like, I don't know, getting a twinge of nostalgia and just wanting to see how that kid you popped out of you is doing. Mm-hmm. I think that would be really hard and not not in a commending way. Like, wow, you go, girl. You did it. God, but like, no. right. I almost don't believe she could. And I know that almost goes hand in hand with the whole um, fair sex Mm -hmm. dilemma that women face in the court. But it's one of those that, you know, even if it's not her kids, even if it's an old fling, even if it's freaking John, like, I just don't believe that you can drop everything and leave and not ever get a hint of maybe what if I came back? I think... The reason why I think she's dead is actually for a different reason, but I do agree with you. And I think that right now she's got three confirmed kills. Yeah. Okay. Just putting it that way. This woman didn't go after victims that would be of less risk to her. Right. Right. When we look at victimology, especially we look at low risk and high risk habits, lifestyles, personalities. If you're experiencing homelessness, if you're using substances, if you're involved in sex work there is a risk associated with that lifestyle does not mean that you deserve the bad things that happen to you but it's an acknowledgement that where there's one thing going on there's there's several right and so that's where you get the theories of the less dead right and i bring this up because she's not going after people her victim type is people close to her or close to other people it's revenge like it's whatever she can get right I think she would continue what she's doing because she's already killed three people and it's 
she likes to kill people obviously she's got three down i think she'd be bound to do that again and i think that she would have popped up somewhere else had she been alive i think she would have still done this i don't really think she gave a shit about her kids unfortunately not in the way that you and i would hope to yeah i think that she was her number one priority money was her number one priority she killed james before they got divorced because if they got divorced and he died then she wouldn't get a cent right he things had to be just so she killed patricia because she wanted walt she was pregnant and she was the one in the way so she killed a pregnant 23 year old this man this man invites her to to his room for the thrills maybe she tried to rob him i don't know we don't know we can't ask him or maybe she just fucking shot him (laughs) so (laughs) at this point i don't really think she needs a reason the type that she chooses are people that she knows and that she can manipulate or swindle or do whatever right but she's got some kind of personality that kept people coming back and i feel like she would have popped up somewhere else we would have seen her kill someone else she would have killed someone else that was noticed was missing and you know as time goes on and time inevitably goes on and technology always gets better the chances of her getting away with it significantly decrease as technology increases. Mm-hmm. So I'm with you. I think if she was still alive, we definitely would have seen something and it would have been caught on a CCTV or like a store security camera. Mm-hmm. Something. Wow. So if she is still alive today and it's a toss up, I'd love to know what our listeners think if you think she's alive or not. But if she is, she's 84. Wow. Yeah. So that is the life of Sharon Kinney. She has one of the longest standing felony warrants in the history of the U.S. <laughs> that makes sense to me. Yeah. So uh, if you see her, let somebody know. Well, honestly, I feel so bad for everyone in this. Everyone's a victim but her. Yeah. Because, um, yeah, she's absolutely the villain of the story but also everybody is a fucking victim yeah her husband her children her in-laws her dead husband her in-laws her kids one of which by the way she tried to fucking frame for murder imagine being the two-year-old that was might have been raised to believe you're the one who accidentally killed your dad whoopsies oh did i do that i'm so sorry i i forgot like that kind of trauma and that kind of guilt and shame that Uh you'd feel for the toddler version of yourself that had no way of knowing no. what you were doing, that in and of itself is awful. To know that your mother did it and she blamed you, she'd rather you live with that so that she could benefit. Yep. Terrible. Absolutely depraved. And I think that with the women in the court system and all of the positives and negatives that some of those stereotypes can produce i mean it's not right it never is but also it's just like this is what happens when you dress up for court and you play the role you're supposed to play and you shut up and you don't say anything except for what your attorneys say and you're cute and you're pretty and you're little Mm mm-hmm you can do no fucking wrong unless they have you on camera or the actual smoking gun, which they didn't. Well, and if if with Patricia's case, had they not fucked it, 
I mean, really, yeah. if had they been able to determine a time of death, had they been able to really get information from the body, maybe they could have got some DNA from... I mean, she sat, in, she sat in her father's vehicle. Maybe there would have been a fiber that they... I mean, there could have been any number of things that were possible that just didn't happen. And I know that it was... I'll call it a clerical issue or whatever, but like that had real life implications here. And big consequences in terms of closure, in terms of processing, in terms of Patricia's family dealing with it. But also because it meant, you know, Sharon was still out and had every ability to do it again Mm -hmm. this is a good one thank you provoking i spend a lot of time alive i well yeah but i i feel like she would have killed somebody else yeah and or maybe she changed it and was like i'm going to go for somebody that i don't think any noticed or that no one could lead to me right no one would have seen me with them no one would have been able to confirm that i mean she tried to be special by using her dad's car to get patricia but it was your dad's car people know your dad people know what you were driving (laughs) yeah but it's like why would you try that in a town so small that everyone knows you and this guy you've been seeing on and off for fucking years knows exactly what your dad's car looks like that's so I think she's dead. What an idiot. What an idiot. What an idiot. So, Sharon Kinney, hope you're not alive. But if you are, fuck you. Yeah, I hope it's a a rough existence if you're out there right now. But James was only 25. That's Patricia was only 23. Yeah, and I don't think Francisco was that old, but... I'm assuming this is a yes. Did Francis break up with her when he went back to the U.S.? Oh, of course. He yeeted the fuck out of there for sure. But he didn't have any red flags. He still he went to a different country with her. And then they're not feeling well. She says she's going to get medicine, but she's really shacking up with a guy at the bar. He's like probably asleep in his room. And now he's got the Mexican police knocking on his door arresting him for a murder he didn't even know happened yet right but and of course i mean they did right by it you assume you think you have to investigate that but once they were able to confirm that he didn't actually have anything to do with it obviously they let him go he was right he was you know gotten they let him out and got him away absolutely but how awful to be him i know what a bad breakup he wins the worst date story yikes Wow. And he was going to go marry this woman. I know. Jeanette. His wife, apparently, is how they were parading around. Wow. What? What a world we live in. What a world. And what a piece of shit. So yeah. I would love to hear from our listeners. Feedback on this case, what you think. If you want to see the people and the places and things and like kind of put a face to a name and a picture to a place, we always do that on our Instagram. So if you wanted to head to our Instagram, you could check that out by looking up about time for true crime pod with periods in between every word. So that's A-B-O-U-T period, T-I-M-E period, F-O-R period, T-R-U-E period, C-R-I-M-E period, P-O-D because podcast was too long, but that's a great place to find all of the people, places, things, reprieves, polls, ideas for merch, places that you can get stickers and things that already exist for merch. Um, a fun place to find resources, not only for 
organizations and initiatives that victims and families find impactful, but also resources for you or people that you know if you need any help with any of the things that we might talk about at all in this podcast. We have it all listed right there. But it's also a great place to send us a DM of your little pod pet um, and also what you think. If you wanted to give us a quick and easy telling of what you think, if you're on Spotify, you can absolutely scroll down and either answer the Q&A of what you thought for this episode or I'll probably put a poll up. Do you think that Sharon's alive? If you wanted to send something longer, a little more in depth, a little more catered to us to read and not to share, you could definitely do that on email. But Allie, where would they send an email? So if you wanted to email us, you would send that to about time, the number four TC at gmail.com. That's A-B-O-U-T-T-I-M-E, numeric four TC at gmail.com. Perfect. We do respond to them all. That we do. And uh, we'd love for you to rate, review, subscribe, tell a friend, download, share. Uh, how many other ways can I say that? Um, leave a five-star review on Apple. Write a little, a little note comment. in there. Yeah, we love them. We'd be kissing you on the nose. Yeah, we can't wait to see you there. We love hanging out with you guys. We love hanging out with you. We will definitely see you next time. And if I take a look at my watch, that was... About, about time, time for true crime. crime. Bye. Later. Bye.